The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Very good. We want to welcome our online listeners this morning. So, this morning we're going to be talking about the identification truths when it comes to your social life. I'll share with you uh, something that came via um, an Exchange Life teacher through an email this week. The social area of life is introducing a cultural or a kingdom to another culture or another kingdom. So back in the days when Joshua, for example, was to go into the promised land and conquer all these kingdoms, he was introducing a culture to the people by force. And if they didn't join that culture, that kingdom, that structure of God, they would be destroyed. There was no blending. There was no merging. There was no cooperative effort of taking the best out of both worlds. All this stuff that we face today which is what develops an emergent culture. The social area of life is introducing a culture that cannot be refined, cannot be changed, cannot be adjusted, cannot be merged into any other culture. It is the kingdom of God. That's what it is. To merge something, you have to exchange ideas. You have to Compromise. You have to drop some of your stuff and adopt some of their stuff. This is where the idea of friendship or an exchange of identity comes into play. That's how the emergent church is actually formed in the world today, which is also called the Church of Laodicea. In order to turn something lukewarm, you have to have hot water and you have to have cold water. And you mix it all up. And you have lukewarm. Now the actual physical structure of Laodicea, the town of Laodicea, they had to pipe in their water because the water was bad in Laodicea. You couldn't drink it. So they had to build these troughs from another community. And by the time the water started out cold and it got to Laodicea, which means, if you look it up yourself, it actually means lukewarm. The reason why that town got that name is because they had to bring their water in from another culture. And by the time that water, that living water, got to their town, it wasn't fresh anymore. It carried the defilement of transferring from one culture to another culture. Please keep that in mind as we continue to go through the social area of life because... That is what this is about. It is do we or do we not adopt fully, completely, the culture of God. Through Christ Jesus, who literally houses himself inside the indwelt believer. This could be a lot of people's greatest test. Is when they're faced with a decision, and I'm going to use... some of our testimonies from this past week of people who had dropped this social network called Facebook. 
They dropped him like a hot potato, and I don't even, and it surprised me a bit because the thought of Facebook wasn't even in my mind when we were doing the sermon on repenting in the social area of life. It wasn't even in my mind. But yet that was somehow where a lot of these people were convicted in was in this social network called Facebook. Although my direct you know, conviction itself in the arena of, of the social network of Facebook is that it is wrong. Because you are literally bringing in water from so many different cultures and have to accept everyone kind of where they're at that it turns out to be this an emergent network. And that's exactly what it is to this day. So Christians do get put on the spot of, as an indwell believer, what do I really believe? Do I really want to be hot? Or do I want to be a glass of cold water to someone who is suffering? I'm telling you, over 90% of the people who are going to hear this message today are going to blow it off. And so I'll just go ahead and check that box to let you understand that I understand you're going to blow this thing off. It's too much for even to think about. Some people have a Facebook account as large as 1,500. I had 7,000 in mine before I shut it down. It's too big for some people to even think about dropping because it's where they find their friendships, their expression, their ability to get it out to this cosmic world hoping that one, two, three, four, five respond and say I like it who cares if anyone likes what you say if it's of Christ Jesus do you see the difference what I do is based on whether you like it or not that voting machine that they built inside the software is the most dangerous part of the software. And I'm going to show that to you. But let's break this down here a bit. The social area of life, applying who you are in Christ to the social area of life, is not only necessary, but critical to living a life that is in line with Christ in you. Culture is a reflection of the person's life. It is the, it's the area of manifestation for the person. Community, for example, commune, IT, it is a gathering of a group of people to somehow communicate, communing, oneness to the entire gathering of people. Community. Communion is an expression and a mandate given to us by God to do this in remembrance of me, to reflect, to, to show a lost world that the Christians are unified. No, we're not. And this is where our, our greatest challenge comes in, is we begin to do things by rote, because of the demands on the culture, not because of the conviction inside the hearts. And when you start doing things because it's the best thing to do, you've lost sight of Christ in you, the culture within you, the kingdom of God that lives in you, the, to 
radiate, to show, to reveal to the people observing what's coming out of you is the true kingdom of the living God. True culture is what is coming out of you. And he set this whole structure up upon the Holy Spirit living inside this mortal body. And someone please tell me what that body becomes. The temple. It is the very first original structure that God has got set up to reveal his culture, his community, his oneness, his unity. And that's where we have to start and that's where we have to continue with in regard to talking about the social area of life. So, in reading this verse, Matthew 5.20, it says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, Now, this is a pretty strong, revealing point that's being made here. The scribes and the Pharisees believed that their righteousness was absolutely, humanly perfect. Jesus said, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So here Jesus is actually saying, whatever righteousness these Pharisees have got, you're going to have to go a little bit better. Well, they already thought they were perfect. So we have a challenge on our hands. So I hope you read this verse carefully. Christ is telling us, unless our righteousness surpasses, rises above, that of the most righteous men on earth, behavior-wise, we cannot go to heaven when we die. So you say, why in the world would God even allow the Sadducees and the Pharisees, even to have a predominant role in the world for so many centuries. They became the comparison. Whatever they have, you're going to need a little bit more. The righteousness that surpasses or exceeds that of human righteousness is the righteousness of God himself. There's only one, one word. There is only one way the word tells us how we can obtain such righteousness. And that is only found in Christ. The Apostle Paul wanted this kind of righteousness. And remember when he said, found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, like the Pharisees, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, which is Philippians 3.9. So at the basis of a righteous community, or at the basis of a righteous culture, you have to have a righteous person. You have to have a mayor. You have to have a leader within that righteous community to start the process of building a righteous culture. And that's when Jesus clearly demonstrated this to us by saying, where two or more are gathered in my name. Someone want to finish the verse? I will be there as well. Community starts with two or more in this gathering. It starts in this this domain where, where 
culture cannot exist unless there is a particular leader who claims to be the right way. So the Antichrist cannot have a community of globalism unless he is able to say, I am Christ, I am perfect, I am the way, I am the method. Unless he can get the whole world believing that he as the core leader is the perfect one, the righteous one, it's not going to work. Culture cannot be birthed unless there is someone who proclaims righteousness. The Sadducees and Pharisees knew that. They would not have a Jewish community unless there was someone who claimed to be the perfect ones for the people so that they would model their lives after the righteous ones. Then you would have two or more gathered and you would have community. That's how this whole thing starts. Christ was put inside the indwelt believer and then he said we become the righteousness of Christ. And once we become the righteousness of Christ we become the core of community. In other words we invite others into our culture not going into their culture not adopting their pharmaceutical that's a word. Pharisaical. Is that it? Cultural beliefs in order to win their hearts. That's where the church went wrong. Jesus said, If you are weary and you are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. It is not this modern view of going and digging a well for a group of people to win their hearts. It is going into the culture to say this is the only way. This is the only truth. This is the only life. And no man's going to come unto my father unless he comes through this method. This life. This way. Nobody. Oh, you're judgmental. Believe me, Jesus got accused of a whole lot more than being judgmental. He got accused of being a demon. He got accused of being the devil himself. He got accused of everything there is to be accused of. Because he was so narrow in his perspective to say, Culture starts here. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you can't get to the kingdom culture of God unless you come through this gate. What we have done is the opposite. We somehow tried to blend in to the culture we're ministering to so that we can change them. And then we wake up one morning and we realize we're the ones that got changed. We think like them. We react like them. We think in the terms of of their culture. And we no longer have any sting left in the gospel. It's lukewarm. Truth is, yes, you read that correctly. All those who are in Christ have literally become the righteousness of God himself. He made him 
who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Someone share with me why it took Jesus to become sin before we could get his righteousness. I mean, that's a serious question. Why do you have to become sin? But it didn't. And it's still alive today. Okay. So, since sin is identity, since sin was the identity of man, and those who are not saved still have sin as their identity. Sin is alive and well. Is it not? Of course it is. Sin will be alive and well for eternity. Because every demon, Satan, the beast, the false prophet, and everyone who followed that method, that culture, that community, shall suffer in the cycle of sin forever and ever and ever and ever. But there's a gateway that is provided for a select few. And it is select few. And that is what I'm trying to show all of us this morning is he is at gate. There is a high wall, 1,500 square miles high block city. He's not letting anyone in unless they come through this narrow gate. This culture behind me, nobody gets to come in unless they come through this narrow pathway, this narrow-minded pathway. And all of you who have an identity in sin, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll become that identity and bear it. Take it to the cross and break the power of this identity over your minds, your wills, and your bodies. I'll break it. I'll break the power of sin. And that's exactly what he did. He became our old identity. He took this identity to the cross and he snapped the power of sin over our lives. He had to take that exchange. He had to take that cultural consequences upon himself and say, I have become this culture. And I am not going back out into the community with it. I am going to take it to the cross and I'm going to snap the power of sin that this identity has over your mind, will, and emotions. And that's exactly what he did. So how can this be? Isn't it that we strive to gain throughout all of life? No, we cannot strive to have such a gift. The identification with Christ and Christ's righteousness means that the believer not only possesses the righteousness by faith, but more than this, the believer takes the form of this very righteousness themselves. Righteousness is the core of God's identity. 
Unrighteousness is the core of man's identity. Sin means falling short of the mark of righteousness. Not sinning means you have met the mark of righteousness. So now since we cannot do this on our own, it had to be done and is done through Christ Jesus. So we literally don't achieve the mark of righteousness We become the righteousness. Sin was our old identity. Righteousness is our new identity. We literally become the righteousness of God. We become the core of God. We become the very identity of God. Righteousness. It's what we are, not what we do. Whenever we find our identity in this, what, whatever we find our identity in is what we become. This is why our identification in Christ is such a major factor in our doctrines of, of believing who we are in Christ. Because whatever you're thinking up here right now is the behavior you're going to offer the community within 10 minutes or less. Now it's time for blow-by. For those of you who are listening, no matter what country you're from, no matter what culture you're from, this is where I'm about to lose you. Because acceptance is is in front of you. The husband, the wife, the children, the the family members in general, the friends that you have, I don't care if they're on Facebook or God's book, this person that is in front of you becomes your decision point of whether you're going to move forward with being willing to sacrifice everything you have, everything you behold for the sake of righteousness in Christ Jesus. It will not happen with most people. They'll say the person in front of me, it's too important that I get their acceptance. It's too important that I get their their love and their attention. It's too important that I get their little likes. Do you understand the whole system of sociology is built on checking a box of likes? Now if you didn't get that little piece... You're stuck in this very deep, probably too deep, probably so deep you can't be delivered by anyone except for Jesus Christ. To be able to uncheck that box and say, I don't want any more likes of mankind. I am perfectly holy, chosen, and beloved in Christ Jesus without having the likes of mankind. It's too much. It is too much. This is the fork in the road that I have lost 90% of the listeners. It's too much to live a life of not looking up in the corner there and seeing 1,112 likes. 
on a comment that you made. We have based our Christianity upon checking a box of thumbs up or thumbs down. The looks in people's faces, the responses of their human behavior. And God is saying, that is not our goal. Never has been our goal. So therefore, yes, whenever we find our identity, whatever that identity is, is what our behavior is going to display sooner or later. Ten seconds, ten minutes, ten weeks. That is the behavior that will come out of you. If the believer maintains a false identity of the old nature, that's exactly what will become in earth and vessel. In this earth and vessel. So when I die, this body lays inside the dirt. Sooner or later, that dirt will deteriorate the outer shell of the casket. Then it's going to get in and begin to deteriorate the inner person in that grave. The bones, the hair, the clothing, all the stuff that is inside of a casket. Goes back to ashes. Goes back to dust. There's no value in it. There's no life in it. So we have to ask the question, well, where's the life then? I want you to think about this this morning. If you could think of identity as a complete pie... How much of your identity is based on what's going to the grave? I would really like to have a few emails, a few text messages, a few phone calls of testimonies of what God answered some people in regard to that question. How much of who you think you are is going to be inside that casket decaying every single day. The only way to find that out today is to look in the mirror or to look at the person in front of you. How much are you basing your responses in life based on the mirror reaction in your spouse, in your children, in your friends, in your Facebook, in your whatever your deal is? How much of who I am is in that casket. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I certainly have noticed this. When I look into the mirror, I see myself dying daily. And I see the gray hair coming. You know what gray hair is, don't you? It's dead cells. And the older you get, the more dead cells are trying to find their way out of your earthy little live body. The wrinkles. You know what wrinkles are, don't you? Dead cells. Your skin is not able to provide that, that, that nutrient, that live cell activity like it used to. You know why people get fat when they get older? I'll call it what it is. Dead cells. You see, your body's not able to process as quickly. I can go on and on and on. Because the simple facts are, What's going to go into the casket is going to stay in the casket. You're not going to be able to bring those elements into heaven. 
Jesus wanted to make that perfectly clear. What we are gaining in heaven is a part of our true identity. And we do need to carefully look at it. So here's our passage over here, John 8, verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Who exactly is he speaking of here? This is the devil being spoken about here. He can't speak the truth because there's no truth in him. Now let me ask you guys a question. How come you expect unbelievers to act like they're Christians? How, how come you get disappointed when someone lies to you and they're liars? How, how come you expect someone to tell you the truth when they're deceivers? Deceivers deceive because they're deceived. And they're deceived because they're being spoken to by their daddy. And their daddy is a liar. So when people are constantly feeding you lies, I can only have one other conclusion. You're of your father, the liar. Because if they were of their father, the truth-sayer, that's what would come under all trials and circumstances. You would get, you poke them, they would bleed the blood of Christ. Identity is found in the blood. DNA. Christ knew full well that the Pharisees tried to obtain a measurement of God's righteousness through effort by exchanging external appearances or behaviors. Look at my robe. Look at my tassels. What you see is what you get. So what they did is they put such an emphasis on the externals that... It brought about deception. So when you looked at them, you would see these externals. There's some churches out there that still wear robes and they still wear their garb, and all they're trying to prove to you is look at the garb, don't look at the person. The garb is setting up a deception so that. The person cannot look through the holy clothing and see the heart. They just see the clothing, the external. What's in the casket stays in the casket. And the clothing, the robes, stay in the casket. This is a point that Jesus is making over and over and over, is that exchange life does not happen through the externals. It happens through the internals. So this kind of righteousness is nothing short of what the word classifies as self-righteousness. Their self-righteousness was produced by self-effort, which granted an appearance of knowing and having relationship with God, which is exactly what Satan does. Relationship through external things. The accuracy is, is that if, 
If I am trusting in the response of Christ in someone, a fellow indwell believer, that trust can be locked and loaded, and that expectation should be appropriate within the body of Christ. It is expectation outside of that dynamic, that relationship, that breeds what we're talking about here. We should be able to trust each other in Christ Jesus. Christ is in that person, I should get a Christ response. When you don't, you got to work through the stuff. Whereas with the other person, you can't expect truth out of a liar. And when you expect a, an unbeliever to act like a Christian, you're the one who's in error. Not the unbeliever. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of that goes on in the the communities around us. Social behavior reveals the heart of what one believes. If the behavior is replicating someone else's beliefs or righteousness, it's nothing more than replicating faith, and faith that is replicated is what the enemy is best at. This is going to be a killer. I'm going to lose a few on this one, but this is okay. Secondhand Christianity is the most demonic Christianity that is on the face of the earth. Secondhand Christianity is I'm living off of your faith. If you disappoint me, I'm disappointed. Replicated faith is demonic faith. Are you guys with me? It isn't faith. That is yours. It's second-hand Christianity. You're living off of someone else's faith, but you're trying to replicate being like that person. And when you fail yourself, you point your finger at them because they're failing you. The truth being said is, you don't have your own faith. The Pharisees never had their own faith. They lived off of each other's faith. So when the other one applied pressure, they kind of changed a little bit. And, you know, they seemed to be doing okay. But as soon as someone else began to fall, they began to become disappointed. Replicated faith is at the core of the emergent church today. Which is Phariseeism. True faith must come from Christ in you. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not by my faith, but by the faith of Jesus Christ who lives in me. This isn't even my faith. It's Christ's faith inside me that I can survive on. It's his identity, but I get the privilege of adopting it. So that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, were of their father, the devil, they were of the father's, in their father's faith. Which he didn't have any. The truth wasn't in him. True righteousness is not replicated, but rather released from the life of Christ that lives inside the believer. So when you hear, see, or function around faith that's coming out of me, for example, it's not me. It's Christ in me. So disappointment literally becomes a part of fleshly identity. 
Christ can't disappoint. It's impossible. We as believers become his righteousness because we have become his bride who shares in all of his attributes, his inheritance, who he is. A wife doesn't have an identity outside of her husband. Someone please tell me how many female names we have in the world today. I'm going to lose some more on this one. Ladies, those of you who are listening, particularly in another culture, stay with me on this because you'll get it if you don't turn me off too soon. How many names are there in the world today that are female? Zero. Whose name do you have, ladies, before you get married? Your father's. Who, whose name is the father's? His father's. Whose name is his father's father? His father's father's father. Whose name is his father's 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 father? His father. Women don't get names. They can sue to get one, but they have to go into the, the judge's chambers and pull a book off the shelf and grab a father's name. And come out and say, well, how's Henderson for you? Would that be a good female name for you, Henderson? No, that sounds like my grandfather too much. Uh, can I make one up? And this is what's going on in the world. There are no female identities anywhere in the entire world. Not one single culture has a single female name. Last name describes function. First name describes relationship. Don't ever forget that. Your first name describes relationship. Your last name describes identity or function. What your whole tribe is known for. That's how it all got started. Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, the Messiah. His great function, his great purpose for his tribe is Messiah. Jesus is his intimate name. It's his relationship. All these last names that you hear are kind of funky. You can see the definition in some of them. Well, he was a woodsmith, or he was an ironsmith, or he was... You can see the trade in that last name. Whereas Brian Woodsmith, Brian communicates more the relational aspect of his relationship to his daddy. Because up till 1940, the men named the children, not the women. And they were to name the children because it was the father's responsibility to pick from his tree of tribal identity and place it onto the son or the daughter. That's gone. Because we have 50-50 eyes, the culture today, whereas each person has equal rights. Well, that's not what this whole system is about. We, as bridal members of Jesus Christ, have to shred. We have to tear off. We have to die to the old identity name of our Father. Who is that again? Father of 
lies. Before you were born again, you belonged to Satan. Do you understand that? Please, listeners, listen very carefully. You belong to Satan. You must go where Satan is going. You must believe as Satan believes. You must like what Satan likes unless you are born into a new culture. This is who you are. It's very simple. Blow this off all you want, but I can guarantee you there's a moment coming because a whole lifespan is a vapor in God's nostril. It will not be but split seconds before you will stand and hear the truth of what I just said to you. You will see it before you that I should have chosen the way, the truth, and the life. So once you take your last breath, it is finished. There's no second chances as some churches say there are. There's no praying you out of hell. There's no praying you out of purgatory. It is finished when you take your last breath. And that could be this afternoon. This is a critical issue. You have no name to hang on to outside of the name of your daddy. And that is Satan. And when you become born again, you inherit, you adopt the name of God, the very righteous core of his identity. You become the righteousness of God. You become the identity of God. Why do we make this about stuff it's not? I have no problem with saying my old name was Satan. I have no problem saying that. I have no problem saying I used to be of my father Satan. No matter how righteous I act. No, how, no matter how nice my clothes looked. No matter how physically fit my body looked. I was of my father Satan. And I needed a new name. A new father. A new life. So now that I am of in Christ Jesus, I have a new name, I have a new husband, I have a new father, I have a new past, I have a new present, I have a new future. Everything is new. You want to merge the two? Do it. You'll go to hell. Plain and simple. I'm not going to color it any other color than what it is. You merge two cultures, you're going to hell. Because no Christian wants to bring Satanism into heaven. No Christian wants to merge in the satanic elements of his culture into God's kingdom. That is not the sign of true Christianity. True Christianity wants to separate the goats from the sheep. True Christianity wants to keep culture separate. To preserve the truth that will set us free. And in saying those kind of comments, you're actually lying to him. Because Paul himself said, there is no good that dwells within me. I mean, you're literally lying. That's why you're of the father of the lies. If you say that emergent stuff, it's like saying to a child, well, that was a good boy. Good boy? How could he be a good boy if no good dwells within him? 
Where is the sting of salvation? It's growing up going, you know, there's no good in me. (laughs) If I don't make some kind of change here... You see, that's gone in our culture. The reason why we're not seeing salvations at the end of services every week is because it's gone. The sting of salvation is gone. People are not saying, there's no good in me. I'm going to hell. It's gone. It's all kind of blended into this lukewarm lakes. People are swimming around of the goodness of mankind. Humanity is good. There's good in everyone. There's faith in everyone. Have faith in your faith-based faith thing that you're faithful in. Really? I know there's thousands if not millions of preachers like me who actually care about dying souls. I mean, I weep throughout the week of people dying and children being taken away and all the suffering. Because I think about these liars that are lying to people all day long with this emergent stuff that is doing nothing more than paving the pathway for them to hell. Well, you want them to feel good when they go to hell? Because they realize that once they cross the line from I'm a good person to actually I'm stuck in this damnation forever? What happened to the good part of me? There was no good in you. Christ is my goodness. He is my righteousness. I have become his righteousness. I have become his good. So therefore, the goodness that is in me, as Paul said, is Christ in me. Any unbelievers who really want that, you're going to have to get on your knees before you go to sleep tonight. I don't do salvations on the spot. I believe salvation should be done by the privacy of the what's going on between the Holy Spirit and that person. And it's usually on your knees before you go to bed at night. You need to pray and say, God, am I or am I not one of these children? Of you that has inherited your name. And if I'm not, I lay my heart, my life before you in repentance. Because I've been merging your culture with uh, Satan's culture. There's only two world views in the entire universe, not 12. Satan's worldview. In God's worldview. Plain and simple. If you're under conviction, no matter where you're listening, respond to that conviction. Fall on your face before God and ask the living Lord, am I one of these fake replicating Christians? Or am I truly indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit? It doesn't take much. It's just giving up. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. That reward is actually translated out as eternal life. Which is your reward. 
If you walk around acting like you're a Christian and you're really not, you're not getting anything on the other side. You think you are because you're hitting all the right notes. You're not. It has nothing to do with external. It has everything to do with internal. The only way that you can truly find internal life to be not replicated is to put it under fire. Baptism of fire. Test it. To see what you get. Because if you look at churches and communities today, if you look at the leaders of these churches, etc., etc., this is what people are hunting for. As long as I can present that image to the people in the community that this is what I have, then I'm going to be okay inside that community. And as we know, that soon starts to deteriorate from the foundation forward. So let's take a look at how this happens. In Adam is where we get our sin. So we are born into sin because Adam chose to sin. The choice of one sin has literally affected the entire world. Everyone who has been born and everyone who will be born is because of the sin of Adam. Someone please uh, tell us where sin comes from. Does it come from and through the woman? Does it come from in and through the man? Does it come from in and through both of them? Where do we get this sin that we're born with? At birth. The sin of the father. Okay. So sin is in the seed. So what about women? Don't they have sin in them? So women have sin in them because of what? Their fathers. How is it that Jesus mortally could live inside Mary who had sin inside her? What's that? Because the seed of his father through the Holy Spirit, the miraculous conception, was there's no sin inside God's seed, so therefore a perfect body could be born inside Mary. The Catholic Church refused to believe that, so they made Mother Mary holy. No sin inside Mary, because no human body that has sin in it can obviously give birth to a perfect child. Wrong. The blood of a mother does not mix with the baby. How many knew that as science? Most mothers do. The blood of the mother does not mix with that human baby. Only DNA. That's critical. When we talk about identity being in the blood, Jesus did not receive Mary's identity. Jesus received the identity of his father. Because the blood that was formed in Jesus' body was from the seed. So every human born is born with sin inside them because of the sin that travels through the seed all the way back from grandma, uh, uh, grandma and grandpa, but representative of the grandfather to the grandfather 
to the grandfather all the way back to Adam. That's why this little guy is on his way to hell. He has to go past go, can't collect 200 bucks, and goes straight to the pit of hell. Every human that was ever born outside of Jesus Christ had to go on that pathway. Unless there was something that could transfer them or translate them from this kingdom to this kingdom. Therefore, just as through one man, one man, sin, entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Every human born is on their pathway to hell. It takes a distinctive time, moment, and decision to go from here to this life. You don't grow up in the church and get to heaven. You've been lied to. You don't rent pews and get to heaven. You've been lied to. You don't replicate your daddy's faith and get into heaven. You've been lied to. There is only one way to go from here to here and it's through a decision by a savior. So I want to show you that. This line here is not only the symbol, but it is eternal life. It's Christ's life. So when we look at this this reality that, hey, wait a minute, you trying to tell me that I was on my way to hell? And the only way for me to have eternal life is to be placed inside this eternal life? Someone please look up for us Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Okay, we are talking culture here. You can go into the Greek yourself and dig it up yourself, but we are talking two different cultures, kingdoms, structures, domains. He has taken us from the culture of darkness and transferred us, moved us, delivered us, dropped us into the culture of God. Social. Of course you're going to act like an unsaved person and kill and murder and strife and envy and, and steal. and all. Of course you are because you're of your father Satan. Murder, strife, envy, jealousy, selfishness of every form is simply a manifestation of looking into the mirror and seeing the face of Satan. You're demonstrating, illustrating, radiating the image of your father. That's how you know you're going to hell. Is you look into the mirror and go, you know, this is not the face of God. Whose face is this I look at? Good question. Colossians clearly tells us we have to be transferred out of that culture and put into the culture of God. John 15, 16 tells us you did not choose me, but I chose you. How many are willing to raise their hands and say, God, Jesus, you are lying to us right now. But you know what? 99.9% of the Christians are going to go out tomorrow 
and do door knocking like people have some kind of prerogative or right to choose Christ? Christ is the one that does the choosing. When he chooses you and he touches you, you feel that touch. And you respond in your choices to his touch. If God is touching you today, then respond by choosing to fall on your face before him and repent. For trying to live out a culture that is simply going to send you to hell. Christ chose me. I didn't choose him. He's not lying to us. You did not choose me, capital M, but I chose you, small y, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, it shall be given, done delivered to you. These two crosses here is Galatians 2.20. Co-crucifixion. I'm on one side, he's on the other. I have been crucified with Christ. That's what drops me into eternal life. It also says in Romans chapter 6 verse 4, could someone please read that for us? Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Someone else look up Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Have that ready for us. Okay, let's do the Romans 6 first. Romans 6, 4 says, So who was in the tomb? Whoever Christ chose for the day of salvation gets to be crucified gets to be buried with him and gets to be what? Who has the Colossians 3, 1 through 3 passage? Okay, so we've been crucified, we've been buried, we've been raised up with Christ, we've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies, in our new community, in our new citizenship, in our newness in Christ Jesus, We are literally right now, not someday, right now, we are seated at the right hand of the living God. Your culture, your community, your oneness comes from being seated at the right hand of God. So you have three possible ways of looking at your circumstances. Stay with me, folks. This is only an hour and a half out of your week. You have three ways of looking at your circumstances. One is from the the cross. Oh, woe is me. Pain, pain, pain. Me, me, me. Everything's about me. Second view of life. Staying in the tomb. It's called depression. It's called despair. It's called darkness. Did he not just communicate to us that he transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? That darkness is tomb dwelling. Oh, woe is me. It's all about me. Then the next perspective is to set my affections, my mind on things above, not on things that are down there on the earth. Culture. Earth belongs to who exactly? 
Why are we trying to turn Satan's domain into a resort? Why are we trying to convert this world into a nice place when it is the domain of darkness? What, so we can have a vacation before we die? You think about the vacation mentality of humanity. Seriously, think about it. Retirements. Constantly setting yourself up to avoid distress and persecution and difficulties. You're constantly setting a domain in place that looks like heaven. Reconstructionists actually believe they have to take the earth back before Jesus will come back to rule it. They have to take politics. They have to take the church back. They have to take... It's all about turning the good back into the soil. Bad theology. Finishing with this. Identity statement for this week is, those who practice righteousness instead of releasing the righteousness within are clearly seen as fake by our God who is in heaven. He, God, knows authentic righteousness because he himself put his righteousness in his son, put his son inside of us, and his son is manifested through us. Therefore, when he sees a practicing of righteousness instead of a release of life within, he is quick to garnish the rewards on heaven's side. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.